you're listening to Cherishing Scripture Podcast, a podcast that's changing society by cherishing Scripture. Why do you need to carry an amulet around in your pocket that says WWJD to remind you what Jesus would do? Isn't that the Holy Spirit's job? But it seems like a lot of men are trying to manufacture this difference as opposed to letting it naturally happen. Exactly. And the exactly Bible, right. the Bible naturally changes people and makes them different. In debates, when you get in a debate with someone, you know that you've won the debate when they turn personal. Yeah. They're attacking these preachers that are standing for their liberty. And right. when they can't find anything biblically wrong with this person, they start picking out other things. Yep. And if you don't think that those two things can overpower and overtake you, you're pretending. Right. And now here's your hosts, Pastor Brad Bailey, Adam Capps, Zach Taylor, and Jeremy Boggs. Welcome back to another episode of Cherishing Scripture Podcast. It's been a, a little bit, but we're finally back in the studio. I've got uh, Adam. I think his last name is Caps. I think. Brad, it's been so long. I know. And Brad Bailey on the end there, Pastor Brad Bailey, excuse me, and then Zachary Taylor behind the sound booth there. Uh, I, I actually, because I just did, I want to say, do you guys have you ever called your pastor by his first name like that? Joshua. No. Well, oh, oops. <laughs> oh, the forbidden name. Oh, I know. I always feel so terrible when I, when I don't say pastor in front of Brad Bailey. Yeah. I, I, I think to. I only, only to people, I reference him that way. But I think if you check our text, like 95% of them are either pastor or preacher. Yeah. I call him JB. JB. <laughs> in my phone, I don't have him as Brad Bailey. I have him as Pastor Bailey. Oh, I yeah. can't. I have a mess. Doctor Bailey. Wow, that's what he is in my phone. No kidding. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag college days. You know, exactly. <laughs> wow. I still, I still call him that. It makes him feel even nice. your kids. Call I'm gonna me. have to. They, I'm kids call me when that. we refer to you. That's what we refer to. I as think I'm gonna have to change him to MOG in my phone Do now. You know what your kid calls Zach? <laughs> no. What do they call Zach? Zach's me. Zaxby, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Zaxby Taylor. Zaxby. It's Perfect. funny because they still call him that too when they when they come to me and we're talking about the game and they go, yeah, and they were telling us about that fight thing and they're like, yeah, and, and you are Mr. Zaxby and, and you <laughs> could be on the other side of the team. And I was like. Uh, they've called it Edward. They've called him Eggward for like the longest time Edward. with a G. It's funny. That's man. good. Man, I don't man, correct man. Hey, listen, Zaxby's is good food, so I don't mind. Zaxby's is okay. Some of them are, not all of them. That's true. Some Depends locations on the location. Are yeah. So very true. It's been it has been a little bit. So let's let's catch up. Where some uh, something interesting happened in somebody's life or someone's related life recently. Did you get married? No. Did I? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. There's a few months. I don't know what you're talking about, Oliver. Man. Oh yeah. yeah oh that. Your yeah. Son. Remember okay. Him? Yeah, my son got born again. Yeah. It's a great blessing. We're still unsure about one of the sons, but yeah, the other one we know we know for sure. <laughs> yeah, Oliver, you, man, eight years old, he got saved. That's a blessing, man. Huge. We've been praying a lot for him. I recently tried to uh, lead Dawson to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, and I lost a hat. I tried <laughs> doing it. We were driving wow. down the road, and he was beside us. And I stuck my head out the window and asked him if he wanted to come to know Christ before the light changed. And uh, the light changed, and I lost my hat. <laughs> Lesson so, learned. Oh, my Lesson gosh. Learned. Two things. One fun. thing got lost, and one thing stayed lost that night. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. But um, today, we're going to do an interesting 
little topic. Our goal is to sum up pretty much everything we've kind of talked about previous before these episodes. We're going to um, kind of just lay it all out on the table about what we believe um, about uh, with the confession, with the um, book that Pastor Bailey wrote that we wrote that we talked about, and uh, how we have. Uh, if can I just put it simple? We've we've disowned the name recovering or. <laughs> we have disowned the name um, Independent Fundamental, yeah. and we right. have now called ourselves New Testament Baptists. So, where do you guys want to start? Well, you know, I mean, this this has become a somewhat of a controversy, and it's been a lot of it's been misrepresented. And uh, you know, one of the reasons why we discussed the possibility of uh, of doing this together was just because. Um, uh, you know, the, there's what I feared early on was that people were going to lay hold of the New Testament Baptist Confession and they were going to run out with it and make it into something that it is not. And that's almost entirely what's happened with some people. They've taken the confession and they've really uh, uh, overreacted on some things. And uh, they've, you know, they've, there's basically some statements out there you know they're being made that uh, we're entirely different than we used to be or uh you know we've changed everything i've heard some of that terminology that is such an an incredible exaggeration um you know that that's far beyond the pale of of what the new testament baptist confession actually is um you know I, i'll tell you that what the confession is is it is partly an indictment against fundamentalism and some of the errors of fundamentalism and some of the problems that have come naturally to fundamentalism that, quite frankly, do not exist in other denominations. Uh, some of the problems that fundamentalism uh, are fundamentalists in particular are experiencing are isolated in many cases just to them, and it's a product of uh, poor teaching. It's a product of uh, problems that went unaddressed. It's in some cases a problem of independence. Sometimes there's too much emphasis on independence, and um, yeah, I mean, so that's uh, that's kind of one vein of thinking. Uh, another problem that um, that we had in mind, when, when or particular me, when I sat down over those years and wrote the confession, is to address the decay and the erosion that is taking place among fundamentalism. Um, it's a dying breed, uh, which led me to the to the real question: Why, you know, if Jesus promised the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, then why is this? Uh, why why are these impossible to ignore conditions taking place among independent Baptist fundamentalists, where there seems to be you know this this rot from the inside out? It seems to be just growing and. And becoming worse and worse year after year. It seems like there's scandal, one scandal after another. And I know there's scandals among Roman Catholics. I know there's scandals among Presbyterians. There's scandals in every denominational label you want to put out there. There's scandals. But the reality is there are more scandals among fundamentalists than anyone else. It would be a very, very poor physician that would see all the signs of infection and choose to ignore it. Agreed. Agreed, and so that's the motivation. Um, you know, it's it has nothing to do with 
casting doubt on our heritage. Um, all of us that are here, we started out this way. Um, you know, I had a long conversation with Josh Tice, and uh, Josh Tice is a, a, a very kind gentleman. Uh, he and I had uh, some minor disagreements when we chatted with each other on the telephone. Um, and I told him, I said, you know, I had a reason for calling him. And uh, and one of the reasons I had for calling him was because when this has been several years ago, and one of the reasons I had for calling him was because I had heard that Josh Tice was rebranding himself as the new independent Baptist. And so, um, you know, not wanting to to conflict with what he may be doing or possibly potentially to see if there was some enough agreement between the two of us, maybe we could work together. So I called him and I said, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about your, your new moniker, uh, the new independent Baptist. And he said, that's not at all uh, what I am. And uh, I said, so how did that get assigned to you? And he said, well, he said, I wrote an article. And, the, and the artic- in the article, I said, there's a new wave of independent Baptists rising up among young men that are trying to recover some of the uh, you know some some of the ground that's been lost, some of the yardage that's been lost among fundamentalists for years, and uh, and he said I never insinuated that I wanted to start a new label or start a new denomination or anything. He said I never insinuated that, and and that again goes uh, into part of the discussion here that it is not uncommon at all for you to get labeled something that you are not. Mm. It's not uncommon at all. Uh, especially when they're the ones who are in charge of calling names. It's not uncommon at all for you to get billed as something that you never intended to be or not, something that you never uh, never stated or never wrote. You know? I've, I've found, though, that, um, that I wasn't part of Brandon Baptist Tabernacle when this confession was um, well, long before it was released, but I found when, it, when I came to understand it um, that people that had a lot of critiques about it suffered from the inability to read with comprehension and uh, i'm not trying to be hurtful or anything but that was a common denominator i found because because when i asked specifically what it was that they disagreed with there it was it was really hard to nail it down because there's nothing in that confession that's against what the scripture teaches yeah. And I read it very slowly and very carefully. And if it were, you guys know me, I would have said so. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, I I found that the people that had the most things to say about it were, were ones that suffered from reading comprehension or lack yeah. of or, or possibly it's kind of one of those situations where when you throw a, a rock in a pack of dogs, the one that gets hit is the one that yelps. <laughs> or the one that gets hit gets is the, the grace, one. Right? Yeah, kind of, I guess. But um, – you know, so I don't know if it's that or a combination of those things, but one of the early paragraphs in the confession says, "May not the ignorance and instability of many, coupled with profaneness, rule our confession? We intend to distribute to disperse this confession in the spirit of diligent Christianity, even to those who arise in judgment against and condemn much of its content." So we saw this coming. You know, we knew that there would be uh, protest. Um, you know, some I, I knew some of it would get very personal. That there would be personal attacks on me individually and our church, and and so on and so forth. So I'm not surprised that that is happening. Uh, but the pledge that I tried to make early in this was, 
you know, we're, we're not going to involve ourselves in the profaneness. We're not going to involve ourselves in the petty back and forth, the conflict, the, um, you know, calling of names, um, you know, and, and it's, it's really, it, it really works against the, effect, the effectiveness of the document. I think the document has hit a nerve. I really do. Um, and, uh, and sadly, instead of being easy to admonish, there are some people that are, you know, they're just afraid of the change. They don't, that, that's the problem. You know, there's some people that are so opposed to change that, um, you know, they, they're just going to oppose it, whatever package it comes in. They're just absolutely not going to facilitate any kind of change whatsoever. And so I'm, I'm alarmed, you know, sometimes with, uh, uh, with some of the things that are happening with it, but uh, I am not bewildered. I am not. Um, uh, I've not lost heart. I'm, I'm not any of those things. You know, I'm more resolute, in fact, now than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. You know that what uh, what we're teaching and what we're saying here is needful. To if I can put this is going to sound harsh, all right? But we need to teach the truth so that we can save a generation. There's been a generation of fundamental Baptists that have fallen on the rocks of sin because of the uh, of the doctrinal ineptness of fundamentalism. Uh, we they they have not held up Christ. They have not they have not exalted the Word in their churches, and because of that, it has led to a generation of people who are wandering. I'm not talking about wandering. I'm talking about wandering. W a n d e r i n g. They don't know where to get the answers. They don't know where – they don't even know how to ask the questions. And um, the only that's tragic. Reason, the only reason that that could possibly be the case is the lack of the Word of God even preached in church. That's the only way that that can happen yeah. is if you go to church and the real truth of the Word of God is not being expressed from the pulpit. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and it's like us, you know, like what you just said a few uh, – only two seconds ago, Pastor, about Christ not being that centerpiece anymore. And that's and actually that's one of the declarations uh, that is in the confession. It says that we declare the Lord Jesus Christ is the centerpiece, and that we refuse any other substitutionary character, because most churches now have been, and just like it says here, Christ has been eclipsed by human personalities. Yeah. And and so when they go, they don't see Christ, and that's gonna that's I think that's one reason why they're gonna be ang- people are angry about this document, is because. When you try to put Christ back on the throne, you have to expose the other bad, the bad teachings. Yeah. To get rid of that bad teachings. I agree. I agree, and I think that's. And so now it's going to make themselves be have to be looked at again and examined again. Right. And and, uh, and any healthy preacher, any any Christ exalting preacher would welcome that kind of an examination. That's right, yeah. They would say, you know what, you bring should. that. I, I want to make sure that I'm right. I want to make sure that I'm on point. They should be doing that every that, day. That's Bible. Right. Well, I mean, Paul said, you know, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. So self-examination. Search uh, me, O oh God. Right. Right. Yeah. Know my Bible. heart today. Know my try th- me. Yeah. Know yeah. my thoughts, I pray. So, yeah, I mean, th- those are all biblical concepts, but – um, you know, when the Bible is not king in your church, which I, I have to tell you, I'm, af- I'm afraid in most fundamental Baptist churches that is the case. The Bible <laughs> is not the king. And the Bible's uh, teachings are not going to be uh, ultimate and, uh, and final authority. And so in those types of cases, 
there's a fallibility that exists behind the pulpit that is has created a lot of insecurity with guys. Um, you know, they they want to be able to preach anything they want to preach with immunity. And in the New Testament Baptist Church, you're not going to be able to do that. That's not right. That's mm-hmm. not right. That's not right. You're going to be called to contest by the elders of the church or by brothers and sisters in the congregation who have been empowered with the Scripture who can go and say, hey, pastor, you know, in a spirit of meekness and a spirit of kindness, I want to just come to you and just let you know that although I love you, I'm very concerned about something that you have preached or taught or said. Um, and something uh, that I've been meditating on a lot, right? Is um, is the what what's going to happen when after you die and all of your works are going to be judged? They're not going to be judged if you're a Christian as to whether or not you go to heaven or hell. They're going to be judged as to your reward in heaven. Your inheritance, I assume, but most people, most Christians, are probably going to have nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. Yeah. And what what you need to—it's so mm-hmm. important for a pastor mm-hmm. to judge himself by, because you can get up and preach every single Sunday, every single time you get the opportunity, you can get up and preach. But if you're not preaching what God would have you preach, if you're preaching what you would have you preach, then every single time you get up, you just add a little more wood. It's going to make a really nice flame for about six seconds. Right. But when you get there, at the end of all things, you're going to find that the only things you're going to be rewarded for is your obedience. Yes. It's not going to be your intelligence. It's not going to be your ability to manipulate people or to persuade people to go to the altar. It's not going to be your ability to to conjure up amens from a crowd. Right. None of that is going to matter. What's going to matter is is whether or not you obeyed God, yeah. obeyed His Word, and was yeah. humble to Him. Yeah. So, and, and if you ask the question, you know, what's what's most important, the survival of God's Word or the survival of the pastor's personality? They're obviously going to say the survival of God's Word. Mm-hmm. They're going to speak that verbally, but functionally. And and, and and in practice, are they practicing that? Are they exalting the Word of God? And, you know, you, you, you said this, Adam, about at the judgment, you know, we're going to face this thing. Okay, here's where I'm at with that. I, I want a church that will grieve and that will maybe even cry a few tears when I die, but I want a church that's going to go right on that is not going – I want them to miss me. Of course I do. I don't, I don't want them to rejoice when I'm dead and gone. But Part at the eight. same time – yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I want a church that's going to say, okay, he's gone, but the Word of God survives. Because Brandon Baptist Tabernacle is not about Brad Bailey. Right. Brandon Correct. Baptist Tabernacle is about cherishing the Word of God. Exactly. And if you, as a pastor, can facilitate us cherishing the Word of God, then you're welcome to be pastor here. Yeah. It's like um, yeah. that example – I think we've either mentioned in Bible college we've said on here about Warren Wiersbe and why why he had stepped down yeah. was because of so many people didn't know what they were going to do if they lost. There were him. some people that were virtually idolizing him. Yeah, and you and you said and that he that's said the that's a he, reason why I need to leave. I don't. I can't become the functioning idol of this church. Yeah, that's a lot of wisdom. There is a lot, and of he wisdom. did. He stepped down too. He sure did. Good for him. He sure did. There's money where his mouth is. Yeah. So you know, I, I sat down yesterday and today and i've seen other people who have made attempts at this before and i don't know what all they put on their list but i just sat down uh, yesterday and today and sort of in my mind started compiling a list of things that you know where from a practical standpoint where fundamental baptists differ from new testament baptists they're there this is from a practical standpoint 
And I want to emphasize that because hopefully we'll have a chance either today or later to talk about the doctrinal differences between the two, uh, and there are some of those. But from a practical standpoint, there are. I just threw threw down ten things that are, um, in my estimation, amazingly dangerous, amazingly dangerous, and should be given consideration by anyone who is a student of God's Word. Uh, no particular order. Um, in my experience in fundamentalism, there has been number one a deliberate anti-intellectualism. That makes me furious. Oh, it does me too. It does me too because I have heard preachers and singers and teachers literally stand up and say, we don't need doctrine. We don't need teaching. We just need a move of the Holy Spirit or we need somebody just to get up and talk loud and motivate a crowd. And uh, and then when someone does stand up with a biblically informed word, rejected. they shoot it down. <laughs> oh, it makes me I have so seen mad. that happen. Uh, I have heard men who have said Dr. John Phillips was uh, John Phillips, one of the greatest students of God's Word in in the last three or four centuries. I mean, he was just a phenomenal writer, an incredible man. And uh, one particular man who heard him preach, he said, that man is so dry that I can't follow him. To which I want to say, you mean God's Word is dry? <laughs> Maybe you guys so don't when have you're similar giving, interests. When know. you're giving the line upon line, precept upon precept, um, teachings of God's Word, fundamental Baptists, by and large, will reject that because it's not lively, or because it's not, or because it's not um, elementary enough, possibly, or they may even call it complicated. I find that alarming. I find that incredibly alarming. I find it infuriating. It does. It, it does infuriate me. But I'm trying to hold. I'm trying to hold back here. Adam. <laughs> so the second thing is the support of unscriptural preaching. You know, I think I think this is a huge problem. Uh, I have seen men who have preached error, and watched other people rally around them and say, "Hey, that's okay. Don't worry about that. You just keep preaching it because you can't admit you're wrong." If you admit you're wrong, you're admitting you have feet of clay. No lack of humility. There. No lack of humility. It's just, just, just an enormous, enormous problem for me. And I have watched absolute contrary error be exalted and be praised because it was preached by a friend or because it, they said it loud. Well, just saying it loud doesn't make it right. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing that just, just kind of dawned on me this weekend is the overreach of pastoral authority. We've talked about that at length. Yeah. Um, you know, the errors of fundamentalism basically function because of the overreach of pastoral authority. Uh, you, if you have an overreach of pastoral authority, that's going to be the incubator where the errors of fundamentalism can thrive and grow and the spores of that and all of the uh, all the contagions of that are going to be are going to basically be uh, circulated where there is an overreach of pastoral authority because mm-hmm. there's no immunity there there's no so there's that one and then the ad- uh, this is something you guys may not be familiar with but I have seen this so much it's nauseating the exaggeration of of the filling of the spirit um, you know where guys have yeah this this may be something in this area you guys have not seen I have seen it personally where uh, there's the flaw of people who are saved called to preach and then filled with the Holy Spirit and it is a uh, a very Pentecostal teaching that the filling of the Holy Spirit is what anoints 
your personality. It's what anoints your method. It's what anoints what you have already discovered. Hmm. And it, that's so reverse backwards. Yeah, backwards. Um, you know, you okay. ought not be saying anything without the input of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so there's an exaggeration of that where, you know, the camp that I came up in, uh, the the exaggeration included things like you may have a twitch when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, or you may have a nervous condition when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be some. You're going to have some bizarre preaching method when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Like hacking. Yeah, yeah, that and and yeah. Adam hacks when he preaches, and a, and a couple of other things, you know. <laughs> Um, and then the fifth thing, and I don't want to monopolize all the time here, guys, but th- this has just been just kind of burning in my crawl for a while. Uh, the facilitation of scandal. Um, we cannot point a finger at Roman Catholics mm-hmm. and say that they moved those priests and relocated those priests. We can't point a finger at that. Yeah, I can. I don't like making a lot of super definitive statements. I try to avoid it, but I'll make a definitive statement right now. If you are deliberately facilitating or hiding any sort of scandal in your church that you know about, you are one hundred percent not right with God, and you need to you need to deal with that right there's now. A, there's a church and right now. Anybody would agree with that if they have a brain. Yeah, there's a but, church but, right but, now that did that. There's a, a guy. This this pastor had committed um, uh, a, some kind of sexual sin, and they tried to uh, they the whole church tried to cover him up, but one person. And he got executed. This person got excommunicated from the church, and they they denied uh, that the pastor did anything. And of course, they waited past those certain. I've years had family that that's happened too. Which is, to me is absolutely crazy. So yeah. it shows you there's which a whole is, entire church building right to that gathered two day. Yeah, and none of them are right with Christ. Which is why we have an article on the New Testament Baptist dot com website that says that the statute of limitations is. The predatory pastor's best friend. Oh my goodness! And that's exactly where we're at. The statute of limitations is the predatory pastor's best friend. Look, it happened here. It is happening in a large percentage of fundamental Baptist churches. Financial scandal, sexual scandal, spiritual abuse of all labels and types. Uh, it is. It is flagrant. You wonder why a Baptists. generation of Christian kids have grown up and wanted to reject everything that has to do with God. Exactly. Especially and you can't that ignore that. You can't ignore that. No, of the course not. The exodus of young people from fundamental Baptist churches is off the scale. It's not because, oh, they're just super rebellious and that's how teenagers are. I can't stand when people say that. It's not the reason. There's an actual reason behind it, and the reason is is because something happened. And, and, and it, it, this generation, you know, Generation X, if you want to call it that or whatever, they have access to answers. They can Google it. They can Bing it. They can look at. They can do search engines. They can do internet research and things of that nature. So they are not going to come to a church that is deliberately anti-intellectual mm. and say, "Hey, you don't need to know why. You just do what I'm telling you to do." That is what I'm talking about when that I when makes I talk me about not want to do what I'm told to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you just said just do yeah. it without giving an explanation, that's probably why. I got Imagine if we were in the Bible times. And yeah. if you stole, you lost a hand, and yeah. if you did a sexual sin, you got castrated or killed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just what would be the fallout of the church at that point? Yeah. Well, you know what's crazy? Yeah. Is we a did a lot of eunuch pastors. You have a pastor up there preaching with one hand. Well, you know, <laughs> you the know Old how Testament he got too. that hand missing. Oh, I see what you're saying now, Zach. I, I was like, what are you talking about? But now I got it. Now I see <laughs> what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, like in that. the Old Testament, when they went into the tabernacle, if they went into the tabernacle with unconfessed sin, they died. Yeah. They died. That was it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, thank God we're in the New Testament because 
there's some of the stuff that's going on in in the name of Christ among fundamental Baptists, and I scratch my head and think, why hasn't God killed this person? And and this is going to sound harsh again, but if they're without chastisement, they are bastards and not sons. Yeah, I mean that is, that's son- Bible though. It's Bible, brother. 100%. And so I'm I'm looking at you know I'm looking at cases coming out of Indiana, cases coming out of North Carolina, cases coming out of our state of Florida, cases in Georgia, cases in California, where you know where there's there's men who are basically sexually abusing bus kids and 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 pilfering money from the general fund and destroying the church financially and and carrying on uh, uh, illicit uh, digital relationships with with girls in the church. I'm talking about sending girls photographs of their anatomy and and they're getting up and preaching Sunday after Sunday. I got to tell you something. This is not happening as frequently among other denominations. This is a fundamental Baptist problem. And I think that the reason is because the Bible has been deposed, Jesus is not Lord, and pastors have been exalted to an untouchable position in which uh, they can't be questioned, they can't be indicted. Uh, if they if they do get into a little bit of trouble, they're just going to shift them around a little bit, move them to another location, and cover this thing up. And, and we have like no credibility. Yeah. This is almost like Roman Catholics. Oh, it's 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 very like Roman Catholicism, and they have no credibility. They have zero credibility because of these things. So, and another one here, you know, I know I'm I'm you know talking a lot and we're moving fast, but um, doctrinal independence. Okay, I have heard this until it makes me want to vomit. Well, that guy can believe that if he wants to because he's independent, and what he believes has no effect on what I believe which basically isolates churches and takes them out of the greater body of Christ. What are you talking and, about, universal church? No, I'm not talking oh, okay. about the universal church. But <laughs> it takes them – t- in some ways, you know, there is a concept there that does have to be addressed, though. No, I totally agree. the local visible church is not all there is. Mm-hmm. Right. There is a – there is an invisible church. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not advocating universal invisibility. That's not what I'm saying. Um, God knows I don't want to get called a Catholic again. But um, <laughs> my thing is, okay, if so, you you bring something to somebody's attention. You say, okay, what about brother so and so up here in South Carolina who uh, who teaches and preaches such loathsome things? And here's their argument. Well, he's in South Carolina. I'm not in South Carolina. Their argument is, well, that's his church. That's his people. He'll have to stand before God and be accountable for that. I don't think it's that simple. What do you mean? I don't think it's that simple. I think if we know there is error and we say nothing, we're going to stand accountable before God for not pointing out the error or the scandal or the malice or the the bad teaching. Uh, And if you go back into historical Christianity and you look at people like Spurgeon, you look at people like Moody – they called fellow pastors on the carpet, and they said, you preached something that is not true. And, and many of, many, in many, many cases, those pastors had to respond. Um, this is not happening among fundamentalists. This is not happening there. There are fundamentalists who are saying, you know, they're, they're hiding behind the cloak of independence, if I can say it that way. They want to say, well, I'm independent, so what this other guy teaches does not 
include me. But if you're still identifying with that, you know, I had a, I read a tweet this past week about, you know, a guy, they're, they're constantly beating this drum. Not all independent Baptists are the same. And while that may be technically true, if you are still identifying as an independent Baptist, knowing that those errors exist, you are facilitating that. And you are participating with that, even if it is at a distance. You're still facilitating that, and you're still participating with that. When John the Baptist found out how corrupt the Pharisees were, he left. Mm -hmm. And he went down into the wilderness, and that's where he got with God, and that's where he got his training. And when he came out, he came out like a tornado preaching. Um, You can't. uh, You know, Proverbs 1.10, My son of sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And the word entice is important there, but the real word is the word consent Mm -hmm. because the word consent means to imply agreement by not raising an argument. Yeah, I want to – I I do agree. I think think the church will have to stand for for what uh, they have allowed. And the only the only reason is because you remember in, in Revelations when when the, um, Jesus showed up to the church of Ephesus and he he listed or yeah I think that's Jesus shows up to all of them and he's yeah. going through and he says to the church the angel of the church of the Ephesus right one of those things was to be able to discern who were not the apostles who are you, you thou thou hast they say they were apostles and not and you have tried you have tried them and found them liars he, he listed several things that he was pleased with that he knew was going on and that was one of those yeah. And that's a New Testament church. We're not talking about an Old Testament right. dispensational issue here. We're talking about the church at Ephesus, a New Testament church that said, hey, we found a guy over here in the next county that says he's an apostle, and he's not. Yeah. And they called him a liar. Yeah. They called him a liar. Now, I'm not, talking about, I'm, not, I'm not talking about micromanaging someone else's ministry, but when there is a flagrant, a, 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 an outrageous doctrinal stand that someone has taken, and then we say, well, but he's independent. He gets to do that. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think there has to be some form, whether in letter or in word. The Apostle Paul saw what Peter was teaching, and he said, he, the Bible says he confronted him to the face. And he said, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. So doctrinal independence has kind of been the cloak uh, that they've hidden behind. And then we, you know, we've talked about this one before, you know, even in this podcast, personalities eclipsing Christ happens all the time happens all the time happens all the time among fundamentalists it happens all the time there are certain celebrity preachers um, that have basically replaced Jesus Christ and if that man goes bust or falls it's going to be a bad day it's going to be a bad day Uh, so there's that one and then there's um I just number eight here, eight, nine, and ten really fast. Contentment with externals. It doesn't matter if you're bitter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're jealous. It doesn't matter if you have envy. It doesn't matter if you have uh, if you have murder in your heart. As long as you're right on the outside, you get to the top of the list for the next open position. You get to the top of the list for ordination. That's huge. It's yeah, incredibly huge problematic. Incredibly problematic. We interrupt this program to bring you. Hey, Chosen Scripture Podcast fan. We are here with a new segment on our uh, podcast called uh, Missionary of the Month. It's where we sit down with a 
missionary and kind of ask them some questions, interview them for you guys to get to know them. Uh, we have talked about in previous podcast episodes how we constantly just, we've been taking on a lot of missionaries at our church and uh, we love our missionaries and we just want to introduce you guys to them. So today with me, I have Adam and Angel Ragsdale. How are you guys doing? Doing well. How are you? Good. Good. So I got to ask, what in the world were you guys doing in California? <laughs> we were out there for a missions conference. A so missions conference. yeah, that's about the only thing that could get us to California. Yeah. Um, we, dr- we drive a diesel and we pull a camper with it. And so uh, we were paying anywhere from six to six seventy a gallon for diesel. Man, so yeah, we got out of there as quick as we could. <laughs> yeah, right at the wrong time too. Everything's going up and oh yeah, prices and stuff like that. That's crazy. Yeah, when you told me that you were in California, I was like, "What in the world?" I said, "That that is like the worst place you could ever want to be and get stuck." <laughs> so, oh yeah, they need the the gospel and they need to see missionaries over there anyway. Over there, so. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We were um, with a, a really sweet church just outside of Fresno. Okay. So. That's awesome. Good, good, good. Well, we have a list of questions. I kind of, I've told you guys a little bit already about those questions. Um, you could go in order, I guess. Let's talk about, um, first off, where, where are you guys going? Where is your mission field? Um, so we're heading to the country of Togo, which is in West Africa. Um, the easiest way to explain it is that it's like in the armpit of West Africa, in the bend there on the... Uh, on the coast, on the Atlantic side. And, um, and so it's a, it's a small country. It's about 50 miles wide by about 250 miles long. Um, so it's a tiny little sliver of a country, but there's about nine and a half million people there that, that need the gospel. Okay. And now if I, if I remember correctly, which I think I do, you guys were actually going somewhere else first. Correct. You yes. Guys were going to Thailand. Correct. Right. And so I know like COVID had a big, big uh strain on that and a, mm-hmm. a lot of missionaries but how did uh, covid specifically affect you in this area um so basically it made it impossible for us to get over there for a survey trip and so you know we were we were raising support and it was very difficult to get over there for a survey trip and if you do the the way the restrictions work and you have to quarantine in like a government approved hotel um until you get negative test results back and that can take up to three days and all this stuff and so um yeah a a survey trip was going to take uh several weeks just for a a one-week survey trip it was going to take several weeks worth of time um and then on top of that the cost was going to be exorbitant um it's just outrageous um and then they they are doing away with certain visa types um, and one of them was the type of visa that we were going to be there on if, you know, if we had moved there permanently. Yeah. And so they're kind of using COVID as an excuse to, uh, to do away with that. And so we're not sure, but it looks like, it looks like at this point that, um, within the next couple of years, uh, Thailand may, may end up becoming what we call a creative access country in that there's no real clear path for missionaries to get in and they're going to have to kind of become creative with how they, with how they get into the country. Wow. That's that's kind of crazy that, uh, you know, I knew some countries are still kind of closed and still are still Mm -hmm. staying closed. And, uh, we've heard from other missionaries kind of like 
similar, but nothing really like this. Um, right. So that's kind of that is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, it is. What uh, what led up to you guys? This, I mean, obviously now as we know a Thailand issue, right? What made mm-hmm. you set for the country you're going to now? Um, so that was a that was a process, and I, you know, I think looking back, um, of course, you and your pastor and y'all's church, y'all know some of the the finer details, so to speak, yeah. of uh, of everything that happened last year with our former missions organization and our former home uh, former home church sending church and all that stuff. And so, uh, looking back, I believe that was that was God orchestrating steps even then uh, to to lead us and guide us to where we currently are. And so coming out of all that, we ended up moving our membership to our, our new sending church here in West Texas, uh, Trinity Baptist church in big spring, Texas. And so we moved our uh, membership here and it was actually through uh, the staff of this church that we had an opportunity to uh, just go to lunch with um, the veteran missionary that we will be working with in Togo. Um, And because of, uh, because of some ongoing work that he has in a couple of closed countries, um, heavily Muslim closed countries, I can't really say his name. So I'll just yeah. refer to him as the missionary we'll be working with. But uh, so we got to go to lunch with him because he was here for a very short furlough just for a couple of missions conferences. And um, we just hit it off. And uh, he asked if um, because the staff of our trip of our church was planning on taking a trip to Togo. Yeah. Uh, to see him and the work and to visit with them for uh, 10 days. And so he asked if we were coming and like, like yeah, it was, it's 3,500 bucks a person. And so I was like, yeah, we don't have $7,000 right now. And so um, I was just like, yeah, probably not. And so then pastor Kirkland uh, reached out to me the next day and he was like, Hey, there's uh there's someone in the church here uh, that would like to pay for somebody to go on the trip to Togo that doesn't have the money. He was like, so if y'all actually are interested, then, you know, we'll, we'll send you on this trip. And, um, I was like, sure. I mean, you know, yeah, there's nothing not? wrong with visiting a country that, you know, that's not our, our field country. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with at least visiting. And so we went and in the 10 days we were there, I mean, we were just, yeah, I mean, it, we fell in love with the people and the culture and, and everything about it and uh, getting to meet the uh, the pastors there, the national pastors that are working with the missionary, getting to meet them and their families. And I mean, you know, compared to us, they've got nothing. I mean, they are dirt poor and they are just as happy as can be working in the ministry. And I was like, man, these are the people I want to be with. Like, yeah. these are the people I want to do ministry with. And go. so uh, it was through that trip that that God really cemented in our hearts that that's where we needed to be. That's awesome. That's good to hear. They, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people, I saw, actually saw some of those, those photos um, that you guys had posted on mm-hmm. Facebook, and uh, you, you just see those smiles of those kids. Like, it almost take, you almost take advantage over here in America, how, right. how much we have, and then you look at them, and, then, and we're still not content. We, we want more and more and more and more. And then you look at these people over here, and they're smiling with almost just a little bit of what they have. So, right. Um, yeah. There was, there was probably the, the, one of the most humbling things that I saw. I don't know. I don't know if you did growing up, but me and my brother were really big into hot wheels cars. Yeah. We had, I mean, every, every dime we'd get our hands on, we spent them on hot wheels cars. And there was this kid that I saw, he had taken a piece of stick and four plastic bottle caps, like from drink bottles 
and nailed them onto the side of this stick and had made him a, a makeshift Hot Wheels what? out of a stick and four bottle caps. And that kid thought he was cool as mud, man. And I was like, <laughs> that wow. is something else. Yeah. yeah. And so, awesome. yeah, we have, we have plenty and want more and they have nothing and are just as satisfied and happy as can be. Yeah, for sure. Well, one thing that interests me the most, um, especially with, you know, there's a lot of, like a lot of false teachings and there's a lot of, a lot of uh, claimed ways to go to heaven. Uh, so real genuine salvation stories are always a major, like a, uh, a blessing to hear from, at least for me to hear it. And so I want, I want to kind of hear your guys' story. What led up to you guys getting saved? And, um, and then uh, we'll go to the next question after we hear you guys. Can we go first? Sure. Go for it. So I grew up in a Christian home. Um, so I knew the gospel. I went to church every week and um, I could, I in fact led people to the Lord before I even got saved. So, I mean, I, I knew the gospel um, around nine or 10. I really started feeling conviction though. Um, like I knew in my heart that I wasn't saved, um, but I was afraid of what other people would think. So I started changing on the outside. I, um, you know, I tried to be the good Christian girl and I just tried to, you know, join all the ministries and be in choir and just like make everyone around me think that I was saved because yeah. I was afraid to admit that I wasn't. Um, and then, um, but really there was no change in my heart. Um, so when I was 16, I went to a Christian girls camp. Um, and the first message that was taught on was about religion or relationship. And I realized that all I had was religion and, you know, I was no different than the Catholic or the Muslim. I, I was just going to church for show and, you know, uh, because I, I thought, you know, that's what I was supposed to be doing, but I didn't have a true relationship with Jesus. So on August 9th that year, I got saved. Um, I was 16. I wish I hadn't waited so long to get saved, but I was so glad that I did that day for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big, um, almost like a realization when you realize that you don't have that, that actual true relationship with Mm -hmm. Christ. I was actually just talking to my mom about this the other day. I was like, you know, I said, you can go to church all you want. You can go to Bible college all you want. You can go to Bible studies. But if you don't have a true personal relationship with Christ, it all means nothing. Exactly. Um, and I, I wasn't, she may be listening to this. So let me clarify. I wasn't witnessing to her. Okay. She, <laughs> my mama is saved. So, uh, <laughs> but she'll hopefully she's not listening to this. But how about you, Adam? Well, what about you? Let's hear yours. Um, so I was also 16 when I, when I finally got saved. Um, uh, when I was actually not long after I was born, my parents stopped going to church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we, we never went to church for Easter or Christmas or anything, never. And, um, until I was five years old and, um, it's, it's a long story in and of itself, but my mom found out that she was expecting my, my younger brother. Um, and, my my grandpa being the uh the good baptist deacon he was uh kind of ripped into my mama for not having his grandsons in church and so from then on i mean overnight so i had never really been to church and uh overnight it was like somebody flipped a switch and from then on we never missed church i mean like 
it didn't matter if, you know, somebody was coming to paint the auditorium, we were going to go sit in our pew and watch. Yeah. I mean, we were always at church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was uh, eight years old. I made a profession of faith. Um, but it literally just consisted of me one night on a Wednesday night. I, I told my parents after church that I'd gotten saved that night at church and I uh, didn't talk to anyone about it, nothing. And more importantly, nothing about me changed my certainly not my heart. And, um, and so, and over the next few years, my parents especially saw that they, they saw me for who I really was. Hmm. And, um, and so, you know, at church, uh, you know, I sang in the choir, I, I participated on youth Sundays. I taught Sunday school classes. I did whatever. Uh, but man, Monday through Saturday, I was, I was a massive heartbreak to my parents and um, we're 16 years old. There was a revival meeting going on in, in our hometown at a church across town. And so uh, we went and uh, there was a visiting pastor there who was preaching the meeting. And he preached that night called going to the title of his message was going to hell, calling him Lord. And uh, his passage was not all that saith unto me, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And uh, the the visiting pastor that was preaching that message, he uh, he stood up and he, he made the statement, if a man could die on a cross beside Jesus and watch the atonement of all mankind take place, what makes you think your Baptist church membership will keep you out of hell? Man. And, um, and I was just like, uh, holy smokes. And so yeah. like, I was under conviction big time. And I was like, as soon as this invitation starts, I'm going to get out of here. And uh, he got up and he said, son, if you'll look at me, I want to talk to you man to man. There's like 600 people crammed in this room. And I was like, I don't know who he's talking to, but I want to know who he's talking to. Cause like, yeah, I'm like the gossip machine. I want to know everything. And so uh, I look up and he's staring at me and I was like, ain't no way. So I dropped my head back down and he said, son, will you please look back up at, up here at me? When you walked in the auditorium tonight, I knew you were, uh, you were heavy with the burden of sin. You look at me. I just want to talk to you man to man for a minute. And so I looked back up and he was still staring dead at me. Man. And I was like, and I was instantly mad. I was like, my mom has been talking to this fool. Like he don't know me. How does like, yeah. And so he started naming off stuff and he was like, you might be trusting in this and you might be trusting in this. And he was naming all the ministries I was a part of. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, I sat there for a few more minutes and I couldn't take it. So I went around the back of the pew and I tapped my mom on the shoulder and uh, I said, I need to go get saved. And, you know, I didn't like, like Angel, like my wife, you know, I had been, um, I'd led people to Christ. I'd been out door knocking and witness to them, you know, from my mama's old burgundy Bible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she took that same Bible, laid it open on the altar and showed me from the word of God, how I could know that I was saved. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually it's another long story, but uh Right on the other side of my mama, I heard the pastor of that church. Uh, he does this thing where he like laughs and cries at the same time when he's like super happy. He laughs yeah. and cries at the same time. And uh, I heard him do that right on the other side of my mama. And I didn't realize he was at the altar. And so I looked over and the pastor of that church um, had his Bible open to the same passages that my mama did and was showing my daddy how he could know that he was saved. Oh, wow. And uh, so... Yeah, where, where we're from, typically the uh, the Ragsdale name carries with it a lot of you know a lot of broken homes and everything, yeah. especially my grandparents and further back from there. Uh, but yeah, God forever 
changed the course of the, the Ragsdale family that night. And now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Um, you just got to wear the right things and say the right words and have your hair done up the right way. And then you're good to go. Yeah, it's like what Jesus said about the Pharisees there. The clean cup on the outside, but dirty on the inside. Yeah. Jesus Jesus didn't have much to do with the ones that were really clean cut. No. You know? Those are the ones he rebuked. Exactly. Yeah. It was it was the ones that he was were ready to be clean on the inside that he yeah. had to do with. And, and they the, they did the same thing to Jesus. I feel like I'm in good company here because they did the <laughs> same thing to Jesus that they're doing to us, which is they said that man eats with publicans and sinners. He's doing yeah. something that, man that we don't do exactly. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, that yeah. man associates with people that we do not associate with, mm. and so there was a secondary and third uh, level of separation there that they insisted upon. And we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Son of God here. Well, the question then arises is. If Jesus had come in today's age, if he were showing up now, how many preachers would have rejected him? Hey, I think you're. I think you're exactly right, and I, I, I would be saddened um, to see how many. Uh, yeah, wow. That's a, that's I a big be careful one. With I that know one. you want to glance over it so you can get to the other two, but that's that. That's, it's huge. That's a big one. Right Contentment there. with the externals. I mean, that is. You you could put in parentheses right up beside that Phariseeism, mm. and here's yep. what's here's what's completely blowing my mind is there are there are um there are characteristics of fundamentalism that resemble Phariseeism absolutely to the T. Absolutely. But they can't see it. They Not can't if they see are it. a Pharisee. Yeah, it's that's the problem. That's the problem. They couldn't see it then. So how are they gonna see it now? And then emphasis on non essentials is kind of similar. Uh, emphasis on the externals, um, you know, no emphasis on the fruit, fruit of the spirit, no emphasis on, uh, you know, on the the person and work of Jesus Christ, no emphasis on the cross, but emphasis on non essentials like um, going to movie theaters, exactly, externals, uh, even other uh, peripheral doctrines, and and I've used that term in the past, and again, gotten in trouble for it. I'm using it again here. I, I never learn. But other peripheral things like when did the church actually start or was Melchizedek Jesus or who wrote the book of Hebrews, those can become battle cries uh, that create a separation. You know, If someone disagrees with me on who wrote Hebrews, I can still break bread with that brother. What I can still break bread with that. It's a ridiculous to thing. the church over – like that's just – an outrageous thing to allow to be divisive among people. I hate it. Yeah, yeah. This whole and, list is making me angry. Yeah, and I mean, my mind is just just racing with so many illustrations of this. And people say, "Well, I don't, I've never seen that before." Well, you haven't been oh, where I've been. Goodness. I've seen it. You times. you haven't seen the things that I've seen. And people who that's another cop out. That people, well, I just, I've never heard a preacher preach that way, or I've never heard of, I've never seen any of my friends or my. You haven't been some of the places I've been and heard some of the things I've heard, or maybe it doesn't grieve you like it does me. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're it not sensitive. Will to happen, it. and now you know how to handle it. You know, right. just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't in the future. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. So then, the last thing that I put on my list of ten, and this list could evolve or change or whatever. I don't know. I just threw it together kind of this weekend, but then just um, uh, discouraging scholastics. Uh, you know, t- uh, telling people. Um, you know, don't don't study, 
don't worry about academics. Don't worry about study. Don't worry about pre- preparing yourself. Just go get God on you. Uh, you know, one of the verses I've heard is open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. And uh, I, I can understand there's, there seems to be some nobility with that. But my problem with that is the Spirit of God cannot inspire what you do not know. Mm. Inspiration is not impartation. The Spirit of God is not going to open your head and dump a sermon into your head. No, you have to sit and study and prepare and do the academic work. Which is why the Bible says to write it upon the tables of your heart. Yes, so yes. It, it is there when it's needed to be inspired, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah. You can't, you know, when he says study the show thyself approved, that approval does not come until after the study is completed. Hmm. And so, you know, there's there's a thousand times that I could tell you about when I stood behind the pulpit and uh, and and felt an unction, but it was always what I had become so familiar with and then the Spirit of God moves on that information. The Spirit of God moves on that, that discipline and that study. But what they want is for – they want a pneumatology where the Spirit of God moves on their ignorance. And they boast in that. They boast in that. I don't know what God's going to have me say today. I don't know what God's going to have me preach today. I'm not sure what's going to happen today. They wait till they see where the crowds is. Wait and see type thing. And I just think that I lacks discipline. Wear. Not wear a white shirt. I know what I'm preaching on. Right. He's yeah. not wearing one. And I mean, literally, I, I I have seen, I have I know men whom I have had discussions with them and said, Hey, what are you preaching on this week? And they say, I don't know. I'll wait till I get there and see. That's crazy. You know. And, and basically, I've had them tell me, I'm going to wait and see who shows up. Because if so and so shows up, I got an axe to grind with him. And if so and so shows up, I got an axe to grind with her. That's, that's not, not. That's not. That's not love. That's foolish, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's not love. It's arrogant, it's isn't it? It's, it's just pretty doggone arrogant to say, I know better how to handle this crowd than even Christ himself does. Yeah, that's a bully. So let's ignore God's word, and let me give them what I think they need to hear, and it's just so dangerous. you know. If that's you, allow yourself to be reproved. Yeah. Yeah, but is that going to happen? Is that going to happen? That's what I fear is, is there's, there's, <laughs> a, there's such a stubbornness. And uh, and such a galvanized group of guys that they are not going to accept admonition, mm. and they're not going to accept uh, correction from God's word. Mm-mm. And guess what? Many churches have forgotten their first love. Yeah. And once they re- remove that first love, but they know then, what they hate. Yeah. That's what Paul said. He said, "You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans." Or what? Uh, uh, in uh, at the church at Ephesus, he said, "You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, but you've left your first love." They know what they hate, but they don't know what they love. Mm-hmm. Wow, and that's an incredible problem. And then, uh, and then in first, that's in, crazy. In First Corinthians, Paul, remember when he wrote, he said uh, that he he had he had given his body to be beaten, but if, and he had given his stuff to the poor, but if he didn't do it in charity, it profited. It's a sounding nothing. brass and a tinkling cymbal. Yeah, it profited nothing. So it was all yeah. wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, man. hay, and stubble. Ones they got there. Without love, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. It's all nothing. Everything you've ever done, if you haven't done it without charity. So yeah. fundamentalism is kind of like the wild west. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I'm <laughs> I am the sheriff in this town, and if you come here, it's my law. Ain't now, no when you go to the town next town, both of us. tombstone you, all over again. Yeah, really. I mean, if you go to the next town, they may let you get away with this and may let you get it, but bless God, not here. And that's that's the mentality. It's kind of a gunslinging wild west mentality. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. And we've been studying that, Jeremy, recently, and 
um, you know, it's like the days of the judges all over again. And, and uh, uh, no wonder Jude prophesied of this generation, you know, and talked about an apostasy that would be unstoppable. And I think that, you know, it really comes down to the problem, uh, how many apostates are they creating? Mm. Yeah. How many apost- How many more apostates yeah, are we, we going to allow them to produce? Yeah. Maybe we should have brought up Judges a little earlier because that's exactly yeah. what it is. All those, all those, all the children of Israel, the generations, they were piggybacking off of those men, and then they fell right back. Right. Making twice the child of hell that they are. And that's yeah. what's happening in the independent fundamental Baptist churches. Picking back off the old man or the, the man before and then creating more um, yeah. more and more apostates. I saw a guy on Twitter one day uh, recently. He asked a question, you know, can you name five good fundamental Baptist preachers? Ooh. Five good ones. And I didn't respond, um, <laughs> but uh, some other guy did. And when he responded, he started throwing out some names like Scott Pauley, excellent preacher. They're not all bad. Mm-hmm. They're not all bad. Uh, Dr. Johnny Pope, an amazing preacher, an amazing preacher. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge, both of those men still cling to fundamentalism. Um, I could, I've got my own list of fundamental. I think, I think um, uh, Dr. Mike Bagwell is an amazing preacher. He's still an independent Baptist, but I can tell you this: I know Bagwell personally. He is a. He thinks outside the box. Yeah. He I is. think it's funny when he last time he was here, he always stands up on the pew, <laughs> yeah. and it's right in front of Sister Carolyn yeah. every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she has to look but just so. just an incredible man. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, just an incredible student of God's word. So what separates it? It doesn't matter if, if they still claim to be fundamentalists. I can still break bread with them, but they're going to have to be people of the word. Mm-hmm. They're, they're that is a must. For me, if they are not people of the word, I cannot abide that ignorance. I just I cannot. Yeah, yeah. The the one of the closing lines in the confession talks about that word hating. It says the word hating simply means to love less. It says we will continue to love them, but we will love them less than we love the truth. Yes, I love that statement. Yeah, because that's my main loyalty, and and what I found is that the word of God is truth Mm -hmm. and if that's the case then anybody who disagrees with it i disagree with and even with myself if i have done things and it's brought to my attention well here's in the word of god where things that you're practicing are not biblical then i'm going to study it myself and and if that's the case then i'm going to change that yeah Yeah. because that's my loyalty i'm more loyal to the word of god than i am to my own self yep yeah well this is i guess in a nutshell who we are new new testament baptist um, I would highly suggest you go and read the confession. Yes, please uh, do. You can read what our mother Don't just believe what people are telling you. You can yeah, read it on your own, NewTestamentBaptist.com. You can read it for yourself. Yeah. If you go to our, our website, Church and Scripture Podcast, you can actually, there's a direct link to the New Testament Baptist Confession. It'll take you right to it. You can read uh, what uh, what we believe. You can read the motives. You can read our what we declare and what we refuse. Um, and... Uh, just you can read what we're about um i highly highly recommend taking your time going through and reading it but other than that this is um the church of scripture podcast make sure you follow us on uh, if you're watching on youtube like subscribe and share the episode we've got tons of social media platforms you can follow we've got instagram twitter we've got 
Facebook. Um, you can find all of the Cherry Subscription Podcast stuff on there as well. And then be sure to visit our website, sign up for our newsletter. Um, and that's it. This is Jeremy, Adam, Pastor, and Zach. Thank you. Thanks, guys.